0: Looking for beyond ordinary investment opportunities? Global X ETFs is here to help with their suite of thematic income, commodity, and digital asset funds. Explore the range at globalxetfs.com.au. And now, on with the show. Now, broadcasting from the VFS studios in Milson's Point in Sydney, you're listening to the all new Bip Show season seven, episode seven. I'm going to stop saying it's the all new Bip Show, it's just the Bip Show as it is now. Thank you very much to Global X for all of their work sponsoring the Bip Show. Fantastic stuff! Check them out. Uh, if you can, check out the podcast that I did with Blair Hannon a couple of weeks ago on clean tech. We might touch on that today as well. We'll see how we go. Uh, don't forget. Uh, that everything in this podcast is the advice, whatever you want to hear it is general in nature. You know the difference. If you don't, speak to a professional advisor about your needs. If you want to speak to a professional advisor about your needs, then come and talk to me. My name is James Whelan. I'm the investment manager here at VFS Group. Uh, this episode is being recorded in Sydney. It is 9 35 Australian Eastern Daylight Time on the 10th of March, 2023 AD. My guest today, and we're going back to back. ANZ. I'm going to get a call from Shane. He's going to, he's going to want to sponsor the show. Uh, Daniel Hines, Senior Commodity Strategist with the ANZ, uh, coming in off the coattails of the wonderful Adelaide Timbrel last week, who was who was just sensational. Daniel, how are you now? I'm good, James. How are you? Yeah, not so bad. Are you okay with the, the coattails of Adelaide?
1: <laughs> no, no. She's a hard act to follow. She's, uh, she's really good on this stuff, but uh, I'll do my best.
0: Yeah, good on you. Now, look, we're going to go through it really quickly today. Um, A few of the notes that I've seen from you lately just over the last couple of months, you've talked about iron ore, you've talked about natural gas, you've talked about oil in the perspective and over the last few, you know, the last few weeks talking about Chinese reopening, where you see commodity prices. It it does seem quite bullish. Um, I want to go through that. Under the context of the Chinese at the uh, the National People's Congress on Sunday that just started, um, with their outlook of being subdued, I think is probably the word, of talking about a uh, a, a general sort of term, vague above 5% growth this year, um, which is better than last year but is definitely nowhere near where Chinese growth has been in the past. So if we can just go into that. First off, um, do you want to kick off with oil? Um, the note that you've got on the 9th of February, uh, you see Brent back above 100 100- 100 bucks a barrel for the first half of 2023. Do you still – obviously, that that, that was all based – a fair chunk of that was based on Chinese demand Mm. coming back online. Do you want to talk to that and sort of see how that's uh, switched around, Daniel?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it certainly um, switched around quite dramatically late last year. I mean, looking into uh, this year prior to the Chinese reopening, I mean, there were were plenty of – issues um, and headwinds for 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 the market uh, in particular you know for advanced economies obviously the uh, the high inflationary environment did create this um uh, backdrop i suppose of you know um, weaker growth um, as those central banks um, you know tighten uh, monetary policy so it looked um it looked rather uncertain but i think you know the chinese um reopening their economy there uh, was a, was a bit of a game changer, and clearly, you know, with with uh, less restrictions on uh, mobility, you were going to see a pretty sharp reversal of uh, of oil demand um, after a pretty lackluster year, as you, as you would have expected. So, you know, that uh, obviously changed things around uh, quite dramatically. Um, I suppose in the midst of you know these these um, ongoing supply side issues now. I think the market, and, and certainly myself uh, is included in this, have been um, surprised by how well uh, Russia has been able to mitigate, um, you know, the loss of Europe as a, as a customer with mm. uh, increased um, exports to, to Asia in particular. Um, and, uh, and that has, uh, I suppose, softened uh, the outlook somewhat. I think, um, you know, most people are expecting some pretty tight uh, markets as a result of the the potential um, shutout of of Russian oil. Um, as I said, that hasn't eventuated, um, and in fact, um, we've had to see uh, you know further sanctions uh, applied by uh, Europe in particular to try and put uh, you know a lot more pressure on uh, on the Russians. But um, yeah, you know, the, the you know the outlook for for China is is really strong, and, and clearly. Um, you know, as as per other economies that we've seen um, that have emerged out of you know those pandemic sort of restrictions, uh, we've seen a, a fairly rapid um, and and um, and sharp increase in uh, in demand. I mean, it's one commodity where you get that immediate impact of of people uh, immediately um, traveling. Um, um, you know around uh, both domestically and internationally um, as a result of those those easing restrictions and yeah. uh, you know being out for for most of the year uh, with um, negative growth um, subsequently you know this year should be uh, should be pretty strong in terms of in terms of growth overall for, for China in fact we're expecting to see China provide um, about two-thirds of global growth. In demand um, in the oil market this year, two thirds um, of two thirds of global growth demand, yeah, is just coming from China. Just coming from China. Now that's that is assuming obviously that uh, the US and Europe are uh, relatively weak, and you know we we can explore that a little bit more. I mean, Europe, the situation in Europe has, has certainly changed um, yep. after what looked like a pretty grim, grim winter. Um, you know, that's uh, those supply energy shortages. Sorry, have. Have certainly eased, um, so you know we're we're starting to see a little bit more industrial activity now there, um, and and certainly in the US we had you know a, a house view of of um, a relatively soft landing for uh, the US economy, but you know all indications so far has been you know the the uh, the it's been running quite quite strongly, um, and I suppose that's where the markets um, you know uh, uncertain I suppose about whether that will actually induce further further rate hikes by the Fed and, and thus and thus wane on on economic activity or um you know the Fed um and its hiking or its monetary policy just won't be able to, to slow up the
0: economy and we'll we'll actually see continued strength in, in demand. Yeah, I think I think that we are continuing to see this strength now. Although savings savings rates in the US haven't been depleted at all so mm. as they start to move into their summer, and then we get this driving season again, I think that we're going to see spending pick back, uh, well, continue on its on its way. Probably not at the same exuberance over there, um, but the U.S. consumer, the U.S. driver, driving season has always been a thing that confuses me about the U.S. What are you <laughs> going to do? Uh, Russian cuts? Do you think how? Uh, what's your What's your call on how long the Russian cuts to oil? Which is it's only about, I think about point five percent of global oil supply. But do you think that, uh, that there's any lasting ramifications from the oil cuts? we had? The, the reason I ask is because we had Alec, Alec Cutler from Orbis Funds on a couple of weeks ago who pontificated that uh, Russian cutting at this time of year. They'd never done it before and it's going to be almost impossible for them to turn some of these rigs back on, which is interesting that, that, that he had that view. He was very bullish on oil, similar to yourself there. Um you got, any, you got any? view on where the Russian cuts are going to take the world?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's two there's two issues here at the moment. I mean, clearly, at, um, um, in the shorter term, you know, the, the the actual impact of the sanctions on on uh, on exports and output. Um, you know, we've seen obviously crude oil exports hold up relatively well, and as I said, you know, that's that's been driven by um, you know additional buying from Asia um I think um, now that we've seen the implementation of um, sanctions on refined fuel products um, they're going to be a little bit more difficult um, to to mitigate um you know the refining capacity particularly for um, products like diesel is is relatively limited and, and uh, takes some time um you know to build up outside of Russia um, as a consequence of you know those uh, those bans on exports in into uh, out of Russia into Europe, so I do feel like you know that will have a more lasting impact. But you know we're still early days um, at the moment. Then
0: it's I see. yeah, go, on. go I'm on.
1: Sorry. Then it's that longer term issue around all of the the technology and services um, impacts that the sanctions are going to have. Um, I um, yeah, ex- extremely sort of um, uh, bullish on you know the the longer term impact on output. I cannot see it holding up at these sort of levels on a sustainable basis, um, you know, for for the next few years, considering the, um, you know, the the constraints on just maintaining current output. Um, You know, you need a lot of capital, uh, a lot of technology, a lot of services just to keep, um, you know, those operations running smoothly. And they've all been throttled um, quite significantly. So, um, outside of those uh, those sanctions in the shorter term, I think you know you might see a situation similar to to Venezuela where um, you know the um, the support of the industry um, you know falls away and you subsequently see a long-term uh, decline in um, in output from that uh, country. Okay well
0: um, no, let's just hand break it a little bit similar sort of feel. We're now a year into the war in Ukraine um, and the widow maker trade, I I'll tell you what if you could say that there was there was a, nat- a natural gas shortage in Europe and a prolonged war that has no sign of ending anytime soon you'd want to be long natural gas and you'd be broke uh what's your what's your what's your take on that do you think that Europe has got another winter in them to be able to survive this oh look it's it's funny you know you can have all of these
1: um these well um uh, well analyzed sort of uh, calls, uh, but in the end, you know, the act of, an act of God can can change them all. And we saw, obviously, a much warmer winter in uh, Europe uh, result in um, you know them, I suppose, dodging the bullet uh, in a sense and uh, and and coming through relatively unscathed. But you know, that is still a very short term um, impact, and I think. You know the underlying issue is is still around uh, replacing you know all that lost supply uh, of cheap Russian gas that they're still facing. Um, I think people get a bit um, uh, a bit sort of uh, skewed by you know this talk of you know really high inventories uh, within within Europe. The inventory or storage sort of facilities there aren't there to. Um, mitigate, I suppose, such large supply shocks. So they're essentially to smooth out sort of small seasonal gains or short-term, very short-term, I'm talking, you know, days days, um, in terms of length, you know, supply disruptions. So, you know, we're going to be back to square one essentially um, uh, in the not-too-distant future where, you know, they're going to have to work out how they are going to... um, uh, survive another winter, where you know they are will be completely um, um, out of uh, Russian gas and competing, thus in an international market, uh, which is going to be a lot more tighter than it was last year. Um, in part because you know China wasn't really active in the in the spot LNG market in particular because it was uh, you know um, it was bunkering down uh, with the uh, with the COVID nineteen virus, so. You know, it's it's going to be even more challenging, I suspect, um, over the next um, few um, or couple of quarters leading into uh, the twenty twenty three twenty four winter for for Europe, um, and they're going to have to continue uh, to make some really hard decisions around um, uh, consumption, and uh, you know, particularly from their uh, from from industry. Um, and how, um, how they um, tackle, I suppose, that uh, through, the, through the next winter.
0: I know it's, it's not exactly your uh, not, not your front end sort of wheelhouse. I know it's sort of uh, analysis is more your side of things and, and telling the story that's there. I'm just trying to think about if, if Europe, I mean, what options are available to Europe? I'm trying to figure out what the trade is here, and obviously yeah. that's not your thing to talk about exact specifics, but I'm just trying to think if you play the tape to the end in Europe, what happens next? Like what, like you said, they've got some hard decisions to make. What, like, what are they actually probably going to do? Well, I mean, it,
1: it, it essentially goes down to, um, whether a lot of the, um, the industry that, uh, particularly, you know, countries like Germany were built on that, that cheap, um, cheap energy. I mean, Russian gas, you know, was coming in at single digit, uh, dollars per MMBTU, um, you know, compared to the. You know the 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 fifteen or twenty or you know thirty that we've seen um, in recent times. So you know is 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 the manufacturing um, or industrial sector in Europe able to operate uh, with much higher energy costs? And I suppose that will be you know the key the key question they they have to ask. Um, I mean, at the moment they've been able to um, reduce consumption um somewhat over the over the past few months but um you know we're still seeing even with lower gas prices we're still hearing of um you know Heavy industry um, operations, smelters, and the like, shutting down um, in uh, in recent weeks. So, you know that's uh, that's going to be something that I'll have to face up to if if this is a um, you know a long term sort of scenario
0: for them. Yeah, it is. It is funny as well. And just sort of stepping out of it, I haven't gone deep into it, but the, the German the German press has started to push heavily onto the Ukraine blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Mm. Um, and sort of pushing that as being a reason why. So you can see that sort of Germany might be starting to edge away from this war, um, which they were drawn into, and I think that they were just hoping that it would be all be over quickly and they wouldn't have to cause a fuss. It's now a year in and they've actually got to make some decisions, and I think that they're really starting to shift away, which would be you know, awful I mean, uh, mm. in that regard, but I think that they've just, you're right, they've actually got some serious decisions. We've had Jonathan Payne, a uh, former guest on the show, but he's written profusely about uh, the example that he's used as BASF, um, chemical, uh, chemical manufacturer, and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. They basically have a city that, like you were saying, depends on natural gas to come through and and then to come to cheaper, so mm. they can create everything they need to create. Without that, they can't do it. Everything stops. Everything stops spinning. Um, and how long it can stop spinning for? But you wouldn't think so, looking at some of the markets. <laughs> well, anyway, we can go yeah. into that. We we'll go into that later. It's 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 a weird sort of situation where we've got. This, the, 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 that you've got such pain throughout the world in various pressure points, but the market doesn't really seem to be responding the way that you think that it would. It shows that they're, they're frustratingly robust um, at the moment, which is, you know, pays to be bullish. Now, finally, we'll see if we can get into it, or almost finally, we'll, we'll crack through. Um, so Chinese yeah, reopening. They've talked, talked down what they're going to be doing in 2023 um, to just above 5% growth. Better than last year. Definitely not where it would uh, would be for the last three decades. Nowhere close. Steel inventories. Um, how does invent-, invent? How do you say it? inventories or inventories? Inventories is my Inven- uh, my take. <laughs> okay. Steel inventories. <laughs> um, how does the Chinese shift in policy change this week on your play on steel and especially with regards to iron ore? I know that you've got some things here uh, talking about. Uh, Australian and Brazilian iron ore exports. I was just wonder if you'd go into that a touch for us.
1: Yeah, I mean the issues in the Chinese steel market have been percolating for some time. And uh you know, I never thought the reopening would uh would really rectify a lot of these situations. And that that's been supported by subsequent uh sort of policy measures they've put in place which really just um look at um I suppose um you know mitigating uh potential downside risks to that to that industry rather than actually you know boosting um demand uh for for housing or construction in particular um so you know on that side of things it looks uh, it looks you know doesn't look as great i suppose as uh, what it potentially uh, could be and that for me um suggests that you know all of those underlying issues that we were facing Uh, really prior to the pandemic or even during the early stages of it are still there um so that's that's a that's a difficult sort of um backdrop for for steel and iron ore um which you know will continue to manifest itself i i suspect over the uh over the course of this year but uh as you sort of um um hinted you know there are issues on the on the supply side as well um you know Clearly, some of the uh, the major exporters, BHP Rio's and and Vale's, um, are seeing, I suppose, the longer term flags around uh, demand, and uh, have certainly curtailed um, a lot of their their long term investment in the uh, in the industry. And as a consequence, you know, the growth in supply has slowed up quite considerably. Um, and then you add in. Um, you know, short-term issues, particularly weather-related ones, which have um, certainly impacted uh, supply in the shorter term. And you're not you're not now facing, I suppose, a a market which um you know has uh, weakening demand fundamentals and and really strong supply growth. Um, yeah, it actually looks a little bit uh, more balanced um, at this point, which is um, uh, you know, you don't tend to find a lot of the time. Um, you know, the cycles um around supply and demand can um, you know be quite divergent um, you know, through uh, through the years so um, to find you know a market which is uh, sort of aligning both on both sides um, is, is quite rare but you know for me um, you know if we do see an improvement in supply um, and as I said some of those shorter term issues will, will will be overcome. Um, then you know the market is looking a little bit uh, soft, at least in the in the shorter term. So we're not particularly bullish. In fact, you know we need to take a step back and look at um, you know the the development of a um, of an economy. Um, you always find, obviously, you know the steel and iron ore is is really the um, the uh, the driver of that initial sort of um, uh, growth in that economy. Uh, then tends to, to peter off as. As it moves down the uh, the value chain and becomes a bit more of a services based economy, and I think that 's where we find ourselves now with with China in particular when you look at um, how um, you know beijing is is tackling uh the reopening uh, with a focus on domestic consumption, which will be driven by you know the services uh, sector in particular, so that doesn 't you know bode well for um, for steel demand, but certainly, uh, as I said, you know, over the longer term, I think we're now sort of not that far off, you know, that peak steel sort of uh, point where you know we'll start to see uh, demand obviously weakening, and um, uh, and uh, and thus you know the the, the real driver of uh, you know Australian uh, trade in particular, uh, you know, will will obviously suffer.
0: Okay, well, I suppose that'll be a negative for the Aussie dollar. And some of our big miners as well might need to take some more profits on BHP, I suppose, if that's the case, but maybe not now. So you've got uh are you still hundred and thirty dollars a ton short term, hundred dollars long term? Yeah, well on?
1: hundred dollars essentially by the end of the year. I think um you know we 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 see a little bit of upside in the shorter term, yeah. As I said, that the sentiment is 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 picking up um in part based on hope. Um so you know we'll see those futures markets probably uh, push a little bit higher, um you know if you do have exposure to it i, I would suspect you know that's gonna be as, as good as it gets, and then we'll see okay.
0: those those issues start to to weigh on the price over the course of the year yeah okay well that, that there's uh there's some good play for you on that one and now I, I didn't get a chance to really get my teeth stuck into the note, but there was one that you had here on carbon uh i want to say carbon credits, but it's not uh, did you want to speak to that as well? i know that you it's it's a hot area. And if it's one that you want to go into a little bit, Daniel, that'd be that'd be great. Just to talk about what it is that you've been talking about lately in that regard, maybe educate me a little bit on it too, because my 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 awareness of carbon and the markets around it is coming in off a very long run up. In that, you know, I I, I need I need to do a lot of catching up here. Can you help me catch up on this, side?
1: Look, I think um, that's uh, the situation. I think a lot of people find themselves in. Um, it, you know, it's been. I'm not afraid to put my.
0: Hand, I've never been afraid to put my hand up and say I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs>
1: Yeah, look and uh it, it is an educational process. I mean it is a very new area uh for a lot of people. Um and the detail the devil's in the detail in a lot of times. So um, you know, we are we are on a on a on a journey where you know we're gonna learn a lot about this, I think, over the next uh, few years. Um and look, you know, the carbon market um globally, I suppose, has has been a bit of a disjointed sort of effort, considering you know it's it's still very uh, regional or country-based at this point. Um, but when you look at uh, Europe in particular, um, you know quite a quite a large and liquid market. Um, you know you can see how potentially um, you know um, smaller markets like Australia can can certainly uh, evolve. Um, and look, it's been um, a bit of a uh, a bit of a slow burn for some time, in part because. You know, the government didn't have any real sort of um, strong compliance measures around the market. Um, you know, the um, the industries that were um, under the what they call the safeguard mechanism, uh, which is a compliance-based sort of requirement, where you know if they produce more than a certain level of emissions, then you know they have to either offset, obviously reduce that, or offset it by buying these um, these credits. Um, now that level was so high that not one single operation under the under the safeguard mechanism was exceeding those uh, those baselines. So there's no incentive for them to reduce uh, reduce uh, emissions. Um, the recent review by um, Professor Chubb um, and the and the government uh, recommendations are, are dragging that baseline significantly lower, and then. Reducing it year by year by about five percent, um, and that's that's where the real kicker will be. That um, ultimately, um, in the not too distant future, I'm talking you know a couple of years max, where mm. operations will We'll have to have a serious look at either how to reduce their operations or offset that uh, by um, purchasing these these um, accus, which um, essentially are based on supply from these uh, projects such as um, um, uh, re-fos- uh, um, forest regeneration, um, um, you know, these uh, carbon capture type uh, projects, um, all these these types of renewable energy offset projects. So, um, you know, that, uh, that is a real game changer for the Australian carbon market essentially. Um, and we, you know, once it comes into place, it's, it's supposed to be set into law uh, by uh, the first of July this year, um, you know, then we're going to have to see, you know, a lot of operations, a lot of uh, companies really face up to uh, the emissions that they uh, produce and how they're going to um, tackle, I suppose, this this um, rising constraint on on uh, on that.
0: Okay. Well, uh, with your permission, I'll put the note that you have on carbon on to the website. Uh, so anyone who can who's on there just go and click the link. It's in the notes section. It'll be down at the bottom of the page on wheelandcapital.com. Uh follow the links to the Bip show under there. Uh, with nothing left in the world. I look we, we could I don't want to talk about copper or anything. I think that we've covered enough of the commodities market and I've talked about copper until the cows have come home. So um, that's as far as I want to go there. Daniel Hines, commodities from ANZ. Uh thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, James. Anytime. Mate, have yourself a good one. Have a good weekend. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. You can find us on iTunes, at The Bip Show, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter, at the underscore Bip underscore show, and we're on Facebook too. Just search for The Bip Show. I've got a website. Just Google Wheelan Capital. It's got all of the links and all of the documents that you want to know. Individually, I am at James Wheelan 42 on Twitter. The show is produced by whoever I could find on the day. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next time. This episode might be over, but your ETF investing journey with Global X is only just beginning. The expert team at Global X ETFs is ready to support your goals with their wide suite of ETFs. For the latest updates, follow Global X ETFs on LinkedIn and Twitter at Global X ETFs Australia.